Thanks so much for listening to Culture Proof. This is part two of our conversation with the Hamiltons talking about the importance of family and the proliferation of the gospel within the context of family first. Listen. So I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, how do we, we have families in 21st century America, how do we restore the biblical standard of what the family is supposed to look like? Because I'm concerned, and we've talked so much about this, so I know you guys know where I'm going with this, right? But I'm concerned about what we see happening, even among Christians, in what is commonly called like the Titus II movement, where we ignore dads and we say to the, to the wife, your role is to take care of the household. Where I see even the highest requirement of someone who seeks to serve in the Lord's church, his requirement is that he cares for his household. So, yeah. so that's not just a feminine role, right? Like dads have a responsibility to know what's going on in the heart of their kids. Dad ha dads have a responsibility to know how to properly disciple and train and challenge and correct and rebuke their kids. But what we have turned it into in our modern construct is that's just the mother's role. Yeah. The dads don't really have that role. How do we turn that around? Yeah, I am, um, man, one, one of the things that, that is one of the most, not the most, but one of the most sobering considerations and warnings provided to us in scripture is in Romans chapter 12 and in Colossians chapter two. And in Romans chapter 12, the Lord warns us by his spirit through the apostle Paul to the believer, believer, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That scripture reveals the reality that as saved as we are, as wonderful that it is to be regenerated, that we still have the wherewithal as regenerated people to embrace mindsets at varying degrees and intensities that are foreign to our new natures in Christ, which includes, in addition to that warning, a instruction to consistently recalibrate how we think according not to what is happening around us in our culture, but according to the word of God. Amen. He expounds on that warning to the Colossian church by saying, I'm writing to tell you that the capacity for you to be deluded exists. There is a delusion or beguilement, depending on how the translations render it. It's not only a seduction. I mean, it's not only a deception, it's a seductive deception. So that means that the warning in Colossians 2, 4, I'm writing so that you won't be deluded, is that you can be deceived by something that is enticing to you. Hmm. The way that enticement looks is, hey, no, there is a different category and context for productivity that you should elevate. Mm. to the exclusion of what the Lord said. Many don't even stop and think about what the Lord said about it. We just go along and get along with mm. what the Lord is doing around us. Right. And so the warning would begins with the delusion that is a, that, that is a, a deception, that is seductive, can grow into full-blown captivity. Yeah. And what that captivity looks like is people who either were not born again or the fruitfulness and fruit-bearing that God has for us in the kingdom of God, it's either minimized, neglected yeah. or ignored altogether mm. to where the conclusion of the believer's life as the apostle Peter articulates in second Peter chapter one is that in our knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, we've been rendered barren and unproductive. The story of America's secularization can rightly be described as a failure of multi-generational discipleship starting in the home of the professing believer. Yeah. Mm. Now, this, I strongly believe, is a is a downstream consequence, really, from a demonic attack that is at the root. Like, Satan don't like to contend with full-grown opposition. You know, we've mm -hmm. talked about this before. There's a prophecy of a deliverer coming to Israel. Let's kill all the baby boys in Egypt. You know, there's a prophecy of the Messiah coming. Let's kill all the baby boys. He likes to try to attack at the front end. You know, in our society right now, we have lots of people. Well, how do we deal with the issues of human sexuality? Not realizing we've seated ground on the authority of the Lord's word generations ago. <laughs> in fact, having many Christians trying to say, hey, hey, world, I can fit in with you. I can fit my theological convictions into your scheme for how the world began, even if it really doesn't fit. So going all the way back to the book of Genesis, and y'all heard me talk about this before, the Lord reveals specific things that he's given to mankind generally, but specifically to men before the rebellion and often the neglected. And I'll do this very quickly and I'll, and, I'll, and I'll get out of it. In Genesis chapter two, 
Verse seven, the Lord says something amazing. Then the Lord God formed the man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils a breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east. And there he put the man whom he had formed. The same thing is reiterated in verse 15 of chapter two. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. The scripture reveals that the Lord created Adam outside of the garden of Eden. In fact, Eden was east of where God created Adam. So from this and several other scriptures, the Lord reveals that there are things that he gave to mankind intentionally at the very beginning that I've described as being foundational and fundamental to manhood. The first thing that God does when he creates Adam outside of the garden is that he puts him in Eden. Eden is representative and means a place or spot of his presence. The next thing that God does is he makes man, Adam, a recipient and therefore a conveyor of his word. When he instructs the man in verse 16, and the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Those two scriptures reveals two things that God gives to Adam before there's ever any hint of rebellion. The first thing that God gives to man, which therefore is foundational and a fundamental necessity for authentic biblical masculinity, is he gave man his presence. Hmm. He gave man his presence, yeah. giving man... His presence includes the place of communion and worship, prayer, and intimacy with the Lord. Now, right there, when we think about the most prayerful people in the Lord's church today, do we think of men or do we think of women? <laughs> women. <Right. laughs> yeah, you have yeah. other in the New Testament when the Apostle Paul is talking to Timothy, and he says, in light of the call, I desire for all men everywhere to pray. Mm -hmm. Some of the people you pray for are leaders and, and people in, in high places. Then he goes on to say, for this reason, I call all the men to pray without wrath and doubting, specifically a summoning for biological adult males in prayer. It echoes what the Lord made men to be before the rebellion. <laughs> the next thing you see, as I read in Genesis 2, when God gives man his word, it gives the second foundational necessity of authentic masculinity, his word. Mm -hmm. communing with the Lord in prayer, worship, and his word are foundational to authentic masculinity. And it is only after those two things do the Lord, does the Lord give man the third thing that I describe as foundational to authentic masculinity, his work. Therefore, God takes the man and puts him in the garden, verse 15, to dress it and to keep it. That work was not a labor for food because to eat, all you do is go to the tree. But it was an invitation to be a part of God's design and his plan for mankind. These are three things that are necessary for authentic biblical masculinity. But what has happened in our practice in our culture, we say, oh, that prayer, that's the, that's the domain of the women. That's what the women do. Communion with the Lord, which is why a lot of men don't, don't get involved in you know, church life, because it's the domain of women. Hmm. And so the, the, the failure to understand what God made men to be from Genesis before there's any hint of rebellion has trickled over into the deficiencies we have in our home lives to where the lack of spiritual engagement and, and spiritual, I would say, initiation on a foundational understanding of who God made us to be. Listen, spiritual intimacy and vitality with the Lord is not just something that's optional. Mm -hmm. That's right. necessary for me to be a man of God. From there, by being, stop, we've heard this before, abiding in the vine, this mm -hmm. abiding in the vine then informs my operation as God takes me, an individual godly man, and joins me to a wife and brings family through us. It should be a downstream flow from that foundational investment. But when that is severed at the root, it's inevitable that a lack of spiritual orientation within the familial life will make manifest what hadn't been present in the individual man's life before he ever was joined to a spot. Man, okay, so yeah. I, I want to pick up on something that's that's really vital that we're talking about. And I also want to let um, people who are on the live know that if you've got questions or comments that you want me to pop up on the screen that we can address and talk around, then feel free to do that and we'll try to catch them and pop them up as well. Um, but listen, it's concerning to me, based on what you just said, Abe, it's concerning to me that in two of... 
um, possibly if you, <laughs> the most vital places, right? We see men taking a step back in the family and in the Lord's church, like within the operation of the body of Christ and within the operation, the function of the family. And so we find men are seeking significance outside of both of those contexts. And it's really left both of those contexts very vulnerable, we very vulnerable. Say that again, Maria. Sorry, I'm talking. I need to let you talk. Um, which the devil wants. That's his plan. That's literally, that's a, a great plan, isn't it? Like, that's what he wants. I mean, think about that. So, so here's my question. And, and I, I, I wanted to have you guys and I, man, I don't want to run out of time, but I, I wanted to have both our husbands kind of talk to how they have, um, I guess, moved away from what is culturally normative as it pertains to being a father and, and a husband or a husband and a father. How have you moved away from what is normal in the culture toward what is more of a biblical expectation of how you lead your family and engage your wife and your kids? Well, I'll start off by saying that, you know, just having an emphasis on uh, discipleship in the home, you know, um, not outsourcing that to some somebody else mm-hmm. and feeling the weight of it as the as the father that that's my responsibility. You know, I think that that comes first and foremost, understanding that God has uh, set it to where I'm responsible for that. And so I feel like in in in, in our situation, um, we could talk about, you know, I, I mentioned before personalities and things like that. But I think that God, the way that he set things up is that he's allowed me to see certain things right within within our, our children, within, you know, um, you, you know, so I feel like the way that God uses me in this way is to bring out those things, those giftings, talents and abilities and to 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 say, hey, you have this, but this should be used for the glory of God. And so as a father, my children hearing that from me is very, very, very important. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it's not it's not a, a secondary thing that I feel the, the, the weight of discipleship. Yes. You know, and I think. The, the cultural norm is, well, send them to children's church or youth group. You know, that's where they're going to get the spiritual formation and things like that. But I think, you know, um, the way that I see it is like, no, it starts with me and starts with us, mm-hmm. you know, um, having that that burden of discipleship, that that uh, uh, weight of discipleship of our children in the home. And really, really doing it, not just yes. talking about yes. it. Yes, and know? putting in the work. And like putting in the work. And and I want to say this too, because I, I I popped up Jennifer's question here. Guys, can you guys see Jennifer's question yeah, up on the screen? Okay. So she, her question is, what is it that wives most commonly do that would distract a man or distract their husband from the type of engagement that we're talking about, Abe, what you're talking about here? And then um, on, the, on the flip side of that, what would be helpful for wives to do? Like, so, so how mm. may the wife be failing in this area? You know, um, can, can I say just real quick and not necessarily to answer that question, cause I want to, um, buy this over to you guys, but to the point that Will the Great is making here, I think it's vital for wives to desire that. Yes. I think it is, it is vital for wives to trust God's design for the family and not feel like, I mean, you know, not to sing the song, but not to feel like you're every woman. You know what I mean? Like, like not, not to feel, because so often, listen, this is the sinful temptation. Guys, I'm sorry. I'm going to keep it together. It's this not like is, I do that at all, Mickey. I, no, never, no. I, never, I never do that. You are more saved than I am. Okay? Well, saved. Saved. You know, I do do the same. <laughs> I know. No, I totally know. Um, no, and I, I totally feel uh, secure in the Lord. So, <laughs> But the point that I'm making here, and I think this is so important for us to consider as wives and as mothers, there is a sinful area of our heart that really wants to control and to manage. And often when we see dads, if I can make it a verb, daddying, Mm. Right. There there is a temptation on the part of moms to step in and, and want to like smooth over. Sometimes I have to like consciously make the decision to say, nope, the way he said it to him is OK. Yeah. Yeah. I would not have said it to him that way. And, you know, but the way he said it to him, that is absolutely OK. And he needs to hear it the way he said it. Does that do you guys make sense? Or it makes is that making sense to you guys? Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's it's uh, important to consider the fact that 
um, when when dads are daddying in the way that dads dad, right? So like <laughs> there is a there is God has made this man a dad, like has made him a father, right? With his strengths and even with his flaws and weaknesses, who he claims that he didn't have any, but well, you know, I, they're I, there. I, 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 so <laughs> so when, when God has made him in the way that he's made him and he has gifted us with him. So as a wife, man, it is awesome to be able to say, yes, they need you. They need you in your way. They need you in your makeup. They need me in my way and in my mm-hmm. makeup. You know, they need both. And so to understand and value both of the even personalities and, and, and perspectives, you know, and methods to trust each other in that. Because again, if we have the same mission, the same purpose, going in the same direction, desire, the same heart, cultiv- heart cultivation, excuse me, of children and wanting them to love God, it is going to take who God made him and who God made me. Mm-hmm. And as you continue to be sanctified and, and, and growing our own relationship with the Lord. So um, it has been beneficial for the children. One thought I had in regards to that question, though, is that I, I think sometimes in our culture, in America, we desire as wives, speaking as a wife, desire our standard of living to be a certain, in a certain place, right? And so therefore, we put this pressure on our husbands to go out and bring the bacon and it got to be good bacon. Not no, you know, <laughs> so I need you to come on and let, let the me be thick cut rights bacon, <laughs> not the Brian thin slice. Double I need smoke. to be able, <laughs> right? So, so then as wives, we are expecting this type of quote unquote provision hmm. when really in reality, what you're doing is go off, go off and slave hours at work. And, and I'm, I'm here with the kids and doing whatever. And at the same time, let's be honest, our culture, really what it's calling for is for both parents to be out. Mm-hmm. Like, Come on. Desires for both to be out, for both to be making the, the, the money and for both to be able to, to, to provide, if you will, a level of a lifestyle that um, as a result, it, like we said earlier, ignores and, and completely leaves a, a blank and an emptiness in the home and in the church. Yes. And so I think as wives, we should, um, never desire um, for our husbands to go and, and be slaves at, at a job outside of our home because what we're doing is really we're poking holes in our own ship. It's mm-hmm. really we are on the same ship with them, but we're poking holes in our own ship, expecting them to go and work and work and work. And we completely um, encourage them to disregard the hearts of our children, the intimacy in the home, the cultivating the hearts and minds of our, of our family members mm-hmm. within the home. And, and if I may to add to that, and I'm going to answer the question directly that Jennifer asked. Um, and the, the reason why Satan, and I'm just saying very plainly, Satan wants both dad and mom to be out mm-hmm. physically if possible, but even if not physically, intellectually and emotionally, even to the place where you prefer to be away. Oh, yes. We saw it during the pandemic, y'all. The reason why is because, and I say this in my program all the time, but I didn't intend for this to become like a catchphrase, but darkness is not an affirmative force, but it reoccupies the space that is vacated by the light. So when dad and mom's hearts and minds and or even physical bodies are away from the family, demonic minions are waiting to say, bring them to me. There have been evil people throughout human history who have said that our ability to advance our wickedness rises and falls on our access to the hearts and minds of these children. Yeah, We we can get rid of the old focus, but then we can get the children, we can change the world. Which is the corruption and perversion of what God desires yeah. because Satan is a chief counterfeit. But one thing, this may seem practical, but one of the things that I, I believe both fathers and mothers must be able to do is that we have to declutter our schedules. Mm-hmm. Practically, yeah. One of the, the most prominent necessary ingredients in order to be effective in making disciples of our offspring is time spent with them. Sometimes you know, our wives and sometimes dads, really, let's just be honest, we try to live vicariously through our children. You know, you want homecoming queen, you want you want little Betty Ann to be homecoming. <laughs> you know, dad's knee got blown out. You know, if the knee wouldn't have got hurt, I'd have been in the league. You, know, so gotta have, you gotta have little Junior, he gotta be blocking and tackling, he gotta be crossing everything over. And so we 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 pile up our life schedules with all kind of events and where we're always on the go. We're here, we're there, we're there, we're there, we're everywhere, and we never get the time to engage the hearts and minds of our children, which the reality um, of a discipleship relationship is not just unilaterally beneficial. There's benefits reciprocally. Yeah. I benefit 
from leading my family spiritually. It aids my spiritual development to be poured out into my children. And also it benefits them as well. It's a, it's a two-way street and the sanctification quality is increased by that investment. So but one, so one of the things, like Mickey said, is for wives to desire it and for husbands to desire it. And not only just have an intellectual ascent that is good to do, but to prepare for it to happen by decluttering our schedules. Some of these things, honestly, are willful distractions that we've embraced that mm-hmm. keep us on the go and prevent us from being able to, to have the qualitative moments that aid us. One of the things my wife and I live by is that quality of quantity of time gives rise to quality of time. We can't pre-program the moments when you know a little junior comes and says, now, now dad, I know you trust the word. How can I can I really trust the mm. scripture? You can't pre-program those moments. And if you don't have that availability, we can be so consumed with blocking, tackling, jump shooting, you know, hitting curveballs. Not saying that's bad. I love sports. Praise God for sports. But if sports impede my ability to obey the Lord's scripture and what he's called me to do with my children, sports have to take a back seat to that. Mm-hmm. Because the, the commitment to Christ is prime. And the Lord is going to hold me accountable for what I've done with his heritage during the time he's placed him on my stewardship. Man, it's so true. So in, in that response, Abe, are you directly answering uh, Jennifer's question as well? Like, are you yes. kind of hitting on that here in this point as well? Yes. All right. So then I want to make a shift and I look, we've been, this, we we've, we've hit an hour guys. We're supposed to be on, you know, we, Maria talks so much. <laughs> and as does Will the Great. So, so can I, we can just let people in on a little bit of behind the scenes, right? Okay. So like when our families get together, um, it's, it's usually pretty late once we like wrap it up. Like when we finally say, okay, we need to go to our homes, like whatever the case may be, it's usually pretty late. So yeah. I will just say, whoever needs to sign off, y'all go ahead. <laughs> all right. Get out of here. Okay. But there are just a couple more questions that I wanted to make sure we cover before we get off the slide, because I know that there was a lot of anticipation surrounding this, because I think there are so many families that are like, we want to glorify God in our family. Mm-hmm. There's a, there was a longing for that. There is a, there is a desire for that. And I almost get the sense that there is a feeling that there's something that people have been robbed of because it's not been taught ongoingly. You know what I mean? Like, how yeah. do we actively live with one another for the glory of God? So let me ask you this to try to draw out um, a little bit more content that I hope will be helpful. What do you guys desire for your children? Like when you look at the six children that the Lord has entrusted to you, what is your desire for them? And how are you living toward that end right now? Yeah, I can start, but I know know he's going to John. Um, So, so, you know, when I first, um, when we first married and we started having children, I would, I would often ask a, do you think young children, I said this with y'all before, but young children can really worship the Lord. Like can young minds really love Jesus? And I hadn't seen it. Like, honestly, just in the churches I had been a part of, I hadn't seen young children um, having a heart that desires to honor God. Now, Let's be clear. Our children are growing. Right. So there is a lot of things that, you know, that we need to deal with, just like other families. So we're not saying our children are perfect, but to see that there is in the in the young ones, a heart bent toward serving God blesses my soul so much because my prayer is that they would love Jesus with everything they have. I have learned the Lord has uh, revealed to me and given me a passion to serve him with everything I am. I want that for them chief above everything mm-hmm. um, that doesn't, that doesn't, um, you know, mean that they're going to be perfect, but I just want their heart to be softened and, and pliable and obedient, honestly, to serve the things that God has called him to and to love him with everything he has. So I know you're going to go to John. But... Yeah. Um, and I'm going to try to do a better job of being more succinct, but to answer your question directly, third John four, this is our chief objective for our children. Third John 4, I have no greater joy than this, to hear of my children walking in the truth, walking in the truth. So not just being aware that the truth exists, not just having an intellectual comprehension of the truth, but they are walking, their manner of living, their lifestyles are anchored by are be- and are being lived through the truth. 
ultimate mm. truth is a person. This is our chief objective for our children. I don't care what occupations they have. I don't care what, how much money they, 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 they make in their lifetimes. I don't care about those. I won't say I don't care. Those are not primary. Those would be good things to consider. I do care about them. But our primary concern is that we want to know. Not We want to know that our children are walking in the truth. And now we understand our investment will not guarantee that they right. walk in the truth. Right. But what we are called to is obedience. Yeah. And we believe that if we obey the Lord, that we can trust him with the results that he desires even more than we desire. And so we are committed to obeying the Lord and investing ourselves to see this come into fruition. And so that is what we desire primarily. The, the chief desire of our hearts is to know, to hear and to know that our children are walking in the truth. Yeah. Amen. amen. And, amen. and I would just say, and our response to the question would be similar, that our kids would know the Lord. Amen. Um, I, I think, and especially speaking from a context where we both grew up in church and so we knew a lot of things about the Lord, mm -hmm. right? I mean, we were familiar with church and we were familiar with the liturgy of church, but to really know the Lord often escapes a lot of people who would think themselves to be followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. So yeah. one of the things that we desire, the chief thing that we desire of our children is that they know and believe, right? Amen. And it's amazing that the Bible makes a distinction. We talk to you guys about this all the time. Like we want our kids to know and believe that the Lord God is God. And there's a distinction that is made there. One is a mental assent, right? To believe. It is it is a knowledge of God. But then the, the, the heart knowledge of God is an experience with the Lord. And you see both of those laid out. So you look at John chapter six, where Jesus is saying, you've got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And you got the disciples. By the way, I think it's important to note that John calls them disciples who turned away. All right. And then the Lord, the Lord Jesus turns to the remaining disciples and he's like, do y'all want to go too?" And they're like, where are we going to go? Only you have the words of eternal life. And then Peter says, we know and have come to believe. So both of these things. And then again, you've got John writing in his first letter. Again, this idea of knowing and believing both of these working together. And one of the things that we say to our kids all the time, you have got to have the kind of relationship with the Lord. You have got to grow in not only your head knowledge of the Lord, but the experience that you have with the Lord that you don't mind giving over your life, right, for him. You don't mind that it's not something that you start to think about. Well, I'm not. Well, I don't know if I could do that. I don't. I don't know if I could do. It doesn't even become a debate when you know that the Lord is real, when you've encountered Him. Because I think so often what we do, especially today, because Christian apologetics is popular in some circles, we pump our kids with a lot of knowledge, and we think that that head knowledge is going to keep them. What is going to keep them is to have a true encounter with the Lord that they would say the things I used to like hear my mom say when I was growing up and I would think, well, I don't really understand that. It's because <laughs> I didn't know Jesus. But to hear her say, I cannot deny him if I wanted to. Yeah, that's that's the kind of heart knowledge. That's the kind of heart experience that I think so many of our kids, especially growing up in Christian church today, uh, don't have. They have a lot of knowledge. They have a lot of experiences, but they don't know the Lord. They have not encountered him to the place where they can say, where else are we going to go? Mm. You know, I am not, Amen. I am not afraid to lose kids who genuinely know Jesus to this culture. Right, right, right. And I now, think it's so, yeah, I'm sorry, go ahead, go ahead. No, you go ahead, Maria, go ahead. It just fires me up because it's so true. I think if we limit apologetics to just mental or just information, we are doing our kids a disservice. What is the information for? Like, why is it that we need to know that God is? You know, mm -hmm. why is it that we, that if Peter instructs us to make a defense, what does he say before he says make a defense, right? Mm -hmm. He says, honor Christ as Lord. Yeah. Like the purpose of understanding and grappling with scripture is literally to honor God, to glorify mm -hmm. him, to, to give your life wholeheartedly to him because he is true. Come on. So we do them a disservice if we just tell them, hey, you know, did God create in six days? Yes. Why? Why? You know, why is it even important? Um, it, you know, all the all the, the science that, that corroborates scripture, why? What is the purpose of that? Just so we can know, oh yeah, look how pretty that flower is. 
No, man, it's to give God glory. It's to know that he is trustworthy and faithful. And it's to know that you can go to him and he can reveal himself to you. And you can have a real encounter with him. And like your mom says, when you know, you know, there's no going back. When Peter said, where else am I going to go? He's proven himself, man. Mm -hmm. And so we do them in the service and we just limit it to information. Mm, that's good. I think about uh, in the Old Testament, Moses, he had a different relationship with God than the other people of Israel, mm. you know, and the Bible talks about it, even uh, recounts it in Psalm uh, 103, mm -hmm. how uh, Moses knew God's ways mm. and uh, the, the sons of Israel knew God's acts. You know, there's a difference uh, in relationship. And I, we, we want our children to know his ways, mm -hmm. to know more than like we're saying right now, you know, head knowledge and all of that. Now, all of that is good. It's great. We, we need that. But to have a heart to heart relationship with the Lord, yeah. to know, to have, to even have those experiences where they can recount where God saw me through this. You know, I can remember being a young Christian, a young, a young person and having different things that at that time seemed like big things mm -hmm. and remembering how God saw me through it, you know, yeah. and how that built my faith. I yes. remember going off, even going off to college, you know, and uh, being away from home and, you know, different things happening. And, but it was a time where I grew tremendously because I was on my own, away from my church family, away from my family, and I had to live it out. So I remember having those experiences where, you know, it had to be lived out, you know, and we can't be afraid of that for our children. We put uh, all that we need to put into them. We disciple them and we, and we trust the Lord that, you know, as they move on, as they go, you know, in, in life, that God will keep them and, mm -hmm. and that, that they will truly know uh, his ways. And so that's one of our desires is that our children would really know, know the ways of God. Okay. So let me, oh, go ahead, Maria. Go ahead. I always say that we have to trust when God builds your testimony. Amen. Yeah. Sometimes as parents, and listen, you y'all heard our oldest is 12. We're not even at the teenage years. Not that I fear them because I don't. Um, but when they when they leave our home, it is it is um a control issue if we're like, uh, what environment? <laughs> oh, where are we sitting? Ah, the the Lord, way. yeah, the Lord builds our testimony, man. And we gotta trust that. Now, listen, y'all remind me, okay, when I get to that place and I'm like, Lord, help me. Y'all remind me of this. <laughs> but uh, because I understand you know that can be difficult. But yeah. we have to trust that God builds their testimony as He's yeah. done with us. Mm -hmm. Look, let me let me share this. And and Mariah is on this live right now. And so I'm just gonna carefully share this recent experience that I had. And we talk about wanting our kids to know the Lord and not trying to ourselves curate their testimony, right? Like trying to make sure that we shape everything, but to trust the Lord to do that just as he did for us. Like I, you know, I think sometimes there's a danger. We as parents believe. You know, we don't say it, but we live as if we love our kids more than God does. You know what I mean? Like we we have a better plan for them than the Lord does. And so just even recently here, I'm thinking about in all of the ways that we um, we try to equip our kids to be able to stand in this culture. Right. You think about all the things that we talk about and we want them to be ready. And, and we believe, and, and we've talked about these issues and we know what's going on. And here recently we had a conversation where Mariah was talking about um, you know, one of her friends who is struggling with her identity. Mm. And I'm just going to keep it 100, okay? My immediate reaction was, mm-mm, you're not her counselor. <laughs> no, mm-mm. And, 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 and I just want to be transparent here, right? I'm, you know, because this is the reality of what the Lord does, okay? He can remind us of our own weaknesses and our own frailty. And so my conviction, even as I'm talking to her, and her face was kind of like, and, and she said, mom, do you trust me? Do you, do you trust me? And I was like, yeah, I mean, um, yeah, yeah, I trust, I trust you. It's the friend that I know. And, and she's like, man, she's like, I just don't, I don't want you. And she goes, and, and this is what she said. She said, it is important to me that you have the right view of me. Right. Mm -hmm. She goes, it is important to me that you believe that I can stand in my generation. Oh. And that was, look, that was very convicting for me because I'm raising her to do that. But when it came down rubber meet the road and you've got a friend who is confused, you know, I'm thinking of influence. I'm thinking of time. And I'm like, man, Lord, have, have we done enough? <laughs> have yeah. we have we ready? And, and being able to trust the Lord that at 16, 
he can use her not only now watch this guys i'm gonna be completely transparent that he can use our 16 year old not only to wow our friends that she's versed in apologetics come on but to win her friends to the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you understand what I'm saying? To stand up and to defend the truth of who God is and how he's designed men and women in his image uniquely and complementary. And so anyway, my, my point is this, right? When I look at where our kids are in the culture that they exist in today, right? My desire is that they will so know the Lord they will so know the Lord. Not only will they stand, not only will they have the words, but have the strength of character to be able to contend against the wickedness that surrounds them. And also, man, that I would have the, the humility and that I will have the strength to trust the Lord in writing their testimonies, right? Like not that they're going to execute perfectly all the time, but man, they live in a world where they're going to have to execute. If this is what you believe, then you're going to have to actually live this out. Amen. Um, can we make a shift? This is my, I'm, I'm saying this is my last question here, but that's not the final, final question. Okay. All right. So one of the things I really do want to address, and I feel like we kind of touched on this already, but biblical submission in marriage versus what the world pushes out, uh, maybe even some things that we've seen in church that really undermines God's design um, for the family. You guys talk about how you have navigated that um, and what that looks like in your family. Yeah, I mean, with all things, we, we we believe that the word of God gives us instructions for all doctrine and practice. Um, when the scripture says in Ephesians chapter five, verse 22, which is also a part of a command from the Lord, when the scripture says, wives, uh, submit yourselves or be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. Um, on the surface, it appears that that's a command solely to women, uh, but actually the scripture reveals it's a command to both the husband and the wife. Now, right off the bat, what I want to say, you notice, it says, wives, subject yourselves, or be, uh, submit yourselves to your own husbands. So that's not a generalized submission of women to men, but the call to submission is a biblical covenantal submission that is specific to one's own husband. All right, I want to say that first. Secondarily, uh, this, the, the Greek term for submission there is superstasso, uh, which actually is a military term uh, that's translated into English as the compound word sub, meaning under, mission, the root word M-I-T-R-E, which is vision. All right. As Will said earlier, you can't have no, you can't have submission if there is no mission. So what the scripture is revealing that in order for a man to be biblically qualified, to invite a wife to be joined to him and to be submitted to him within the covenantal context of marriage, the Bible is saying that the husband must have a vision or mission from God. We have described, biblically speaking, and I know in our fallen world, we have lots of people who may not have known this beforehand, all kinds of other things have happened, but what the Lord is saying, biblically speaking, is that in order for a man to be qualified, to be joined to a wife, he must have a vision from God as to who he is and what the Lord is calling his family to. So my wife's commitment to submit to me as unto the Lord is not a submission to my biology, but it is a voluntary coming under the vision that God has for the unit that he's forging when he places she and I together. Mm. Having that reality, one, the prerequisite of world condition precedent in the text that I know who I am in the Lord, know what God has called me to, and I'm affirmatively taking steps to pursue that. And then I invite my wife to join me in pursuit of the vision that he gives us as a unit is the biblical picture of submission. It's very similar to in the, in the Old Testament, in the book of Genesis. It is God himself who communicates. That is not good for Adam to be alone. Adam didn't make that observation on his own. God is the one who made that observation. But then after making that observation, God doesn't immediately reveal Eve to Adam. <laughs> he has Adam to begin to execute his responsibility to dress and keep the garden in naming the animals. It's not until after the animals are named that God does reveal his spouse to him. So the biblical call to submission is a unified investment in the overarching mission and vision that God has given for our household that we both are committed to. And that we are affirmatively pursuing. 
Yeah, I think submission is a it's a great word. It's a beautiful word. It is a word that believers should always embrace because if we realize and we look at Ephesians and we look at where Abe just read in verse 22 and we read from 1 to 22 in that chapter, mm-hmm. right? We just don't narrow it down to who this person to wives. We realize that God, through the Apostle Paul, is wanting us to understand what it looks like to be like Christ, to be like mm-hmm. God, to submit to the Lord. And so, man, if we embrace submission first as submission to God, male or female, right? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, if we understand submission to God first, when the Lord joins us together and like Abe said, gives the family a mission and a purpose, then it is easier for the wife to come under that and understand her value and her role. And I think the enemy has done a good job to undermine and abuse the wife's position in regards to... Um, in the, in the body of Christ, but even in the world too, to the place where it's abused, right? So it, it, in the flesh, when the man is a leader, he's an abusive leader, right? In mm-hmm. the flesh, when the wife, um, when a wife hears a submission, they run away from it. It's like, no, I'm not going to do that. That's in the flesh. When we understand submission biblically, man, it's a beautiful thing, but we have to know where we're going. I have to know what I'm submitting to. Like, again, I'm not submitting to him because he's a man. I'm submitting to what the Lord has said about our union mm-hmm. and bringing us. Man, I can submit like that. And then I'm also understanding what marriage is. And, and, and like he said, like he explains further down in, in the chapter five of, of Ephesians, when where it literally is an illustration of, of Jesus Christ and his bride. So mm-hmm. understanding the value that Christ places on his bride, right? For us as wives to understand our value to like, I always picture it as a ship, man, we're, we're on this ship, right? That is not going to sink. Because we're not going to poke holes in it. That's and we're right. going to go in the direction. So the value that I bring to the running of that ship is huge. He mm. knows it. God has revealed it. So it's not like I'm submitting because, oh, poor old me, quote unquote, we could wrestle. Yes, we could <laughs> wrestle. But man, that's not a downgrade. Mm-hmm. I'm not over here like, oh, yes, where can I, you know, can I wash your feet? Can I sweep your, you know, whatever. No, like <laughs> there is a value that we bring as wives. And there's a value that men bring as husbands, man. I want her to be captain of this ship. Boy, you better stir that. <laughs> <laughs> but but I know my value and I understand what my role is in helping to navigate the ship, man. Yeah. So when we understand it biblically, you, we have to eliminate all the worldliness, the fleshliness, the sin that wants to creep in on either side. Really. Yeah, man, I think I, it's so important. This is very brief. This understanding biblically also will enable us in identifying who, as a husband, who is a suitable helper. This will help wives identify uh, who is worthy for me to be joined to because you'll begin to recognize the complementary makeup and the giftedness that allows for the vision to be further pursued. Like you said uh, about Will, when you asked him why didn't he want to marry you, he was able to identify that I recognize that God bringing us together will enable us collectively to pursue his purposes in a way that individually we would not be able to pursue. And so that's vitally important uh, to enable you to have the clarity of vision and not allow worldly things, emotions, girl, he cute, boy, she fine, all these kind of things <laughs> drive your pursuit of a mate. But you, you have as a as a primary um, objective in evaluating who would be right to be joined, who I would be joined together with as how they would contribute to the pursuit of mission in service to the Lord uh, and the purposes he has for us for being joined together. Yeah, you know, I I think it's so important, and and I I think it's often overlooked in the church how much the story of the gospel is about the submission of the will. You see the Lord Jesus Christ saying that he has not come to do his will, but the will of the Father. You see that in the beginning, how was fellowship with the Lord broken is because there was a failure to submit Adam's will to the will of God, right? And so you have the second Adam who comes along and is going to repair all of the breaches, right? Everywhere where there was the brokenness, the failure to submit the will, um, Jesus is doing this. And so then you think about the relationship of the husband and the wife that is the picture of Christ in the church. And so when you have this picture of submission of wills, right? Like this is this is a beautiful eternal picture that the Lord has afforded us in the body of Christ. And I really don't like that we have attached submission to a personality. Mm-hmm. And we have said these types of personalities can submit and these types just can't, you know, we have not seen submission as a choice, right? Which is what makes free will 
um, such a beautiful thing. And to see that free will freely submitted to the Lordship of Christ, it is a beautiful thing. So even in the context of marriage, when you've got someone who's got an opinion, I think when we think of a submissive wife, we think of a wife who says, and I've heard some wives say this, and I think, ah, oh, man, God is glorified that you have an opinion, but you submit that to the will of the father and you submit that to the leadership of your husband. Like, so it's, it's yes, okay, God is glorified that you do what your husband says, but he's not asking your husband to be the school teacher. Mm. You, you know what I mean? He's asking your husband to lead. He's asking your husband to have a vision and a mission for the family and for you to willfully submit to that, right? To, to willfully lay down your desires. Why? Because this mirrors what Christ did in relationship to the father. Yes, that's and, right. And marriage is a picture of Christ and the church, right? So mm -hmm. we, as we submit to our husbands, we have a church that's submitted to the Lordship of Christ and then Christ submitted to the Father and His will. It's beautiful, right? What the Lord mm -hmm. has done. We mar that because we have a, a humanist view of that. Right. It is our three-year-old. You can't tell me what to do. There we go. <laughs> That's yep. that that is the that's the heart of it. Look, I told you guys this and and then I want to hear from Will the Great here because I I I had this 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 thing, right? When I got married that I was going to submit because I have a strong personality, all right? I have an opinion on everything and plus that one other thing. Okay? <laughs> so I my mind was, Lord, I am I am going to submit. I am I am not going to just because I have ideas, right? I have plans. I have things that might be the best thing for us to do. And so in the beginning, when our kids were really little, I was very, very careful to say, hey, you know what? Let's talk to dad about that, not to make decisions. Because, you know, as wives, Maria, we can plan our husband's lives. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. All right. Let's just keep it 100. We can be like, OK, so Saturday we're going to be doing this. And then Friday, <laughs> so and so called and said. And then the husband is always like, did you already say yes? yes. <laughs> right. And you have that moment where you're like, well, depends. Are you <laughs> mad if I already said yes? Or are you okay if I already said yes? Right. You know, either way, I already said yes. So, so I was like, I'm, I'm not going to do that. And I remember when um, our oldest was about five or six. Okay. And I routinely would say, Hey, that's a great idea. Let's talk to dad about that. Let's see if dad has an idea, has a thought about that. And the oldest child who may or may not still be on this live said to me, okay, mom, do you have your own mind? <laughs> do you, do you have, do you have thoughts? Like, do you have a, you know, <clears throat> I wanted to, I wanted to like kind of Peter her. You remember how Jesus was like, get behind me. Like how, because it was like a, <laughs> you don't have the mind of Christ right now. You have, you know, but it's one of those things yeah. where you're like, Ooh, it can easily provoke you. I feel like we live in a culture that easily provokes us. Why, why does it matter that you submit to your husband? Right? Like, why can't you make boss moves? Right. <laughs> All right. I'm going to stop there. Will the Great, I wanted to hear from you. No, I, I was just going to say about submission, you know, when you think about what Jesus Christ did, it should be almost like that's enough said, you oh. know, for us to be able to submit. And I know it's that's, that's very simple. But if we would take time to to think about what our Savior did for us, you know, and how he submitted to the Father. Man, at every turn, you know, is careful to submit to the Father. And because of that, we have eternal life. Because of that, you know, we have been redeemed. I think if we would look at that, even in our marital relationships, our relationships with with uh, other people and, and understand like selfish ambition, not being able to submit, all those things are not of God, then, you know, maybe it would be easier for us to do so. But a lot of times we don't think of what Christ did. You know, mm -hmm. that was ult ultimate submission. Amen. And man, he humbled himself, mm -hmm. you know, to the plan and purpose of the father. And so uh, for us to be able to submit to one another, it should it shouldn't be like like it is. And we are the beneficiaries of that. Yeah. All right. Here's this is the final question. This is the question that we want to ask all of our guests. And so, um, Maria, you could just speak for both of y'all, because uh, if not, we'll be here tomorrow. <laughs> you know. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Whatever you say, Abe. No, <laughs> oh. All right. <clears throat> Tell us something that you guys are reading in God's word or that you have read um, that has taught you 
rebuked you, corrected you, or trained you in righteousness that you would share and encourage us with? Yes. So I am very excited to share this because the Lord used this same chapter, Second Chronicles chapter 20, um, that we are studying this week um, because of a study we're doing at church. And so the Lord used that same chapter to encourage us. It was, it was literally a word from God to encourage us in a major transition we experienced in New Orleans when we lived in New Orleans. And so, you know, we knew the story. We understood what the Lord had communicated to us and the story in the account of Jehoshaphat when he, when, you know, the, the armies are coming against them. And the Lord says through a prophet, you know, literally says, just stand, stand firm and watch the salvation of the Lord and see how the, the battle will be won by God. And so, of course, they, they did that and saw God come through. So the Lord used that to minister to us greatly. And I, you know, it's, it's, it's dear to me. Um, but as I was studying it this week, I was looking at it and I was thinking, man, Lord, as the as we know, the word is alive. And so he's always given us more nuggets. You know what I mean? Like he's always given mm -hmm. us more and more, more. And just as I was reading it, when you start off by um, when when the 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 Bible reveals that Joseph was afraid, you know, he was afraid. And the first thing that he did was seek God. But in his seeking God, he didn't just seek an idea of God that he may have had. But he sought who God revealed himself to be to the Israelites, right? Historically, down before even to Moses. So when literally he revealed, he says in verse um, five, excuse me, verse six, he says, and he said, oh, Lord, this is the prayer. Oh, Lord, the God of our fathers, are you not God in the heavens? And are you not ruler over all the kingdoms of the nations? Power and might are in your hands so that no one can stand against you. So he starts off by declaring who he's praying to. Like we always say, well, like who are we praying to? We're not just speaking into the air, right? We're talking to the creator God, most high God, almighty God, and one that has a, a clean and a clear track record, right? So it, it, it taught me and it even, it even, it did all of them. It corrected me, it rebuked me, it trained me in righteousness because I was like, <laughs> Lord, help me to always keep in the forefront of my mind who you are, not who I want you to be to answer my current prayer. Right. Mm. Or who I need you to be when it, because it makes me feel most comfortable that, you know, you're this uh, quote unquote characteristic of, of or attribute of God. Who are you as you have revealed yourself yourself? And then he continues on in the prayer and, and God is revealed as rescuer, deliverer, a personal God and even a righteous judge. And then the people of God, as they see this uh, whole account transpire, what do they do? They believe and they worship. Mm. They respond, mm. all of the nation at that point, they respond in believing that the prophet who came forth and said, hey, thus said the Lord, give him a strategy, instruction, you know, prophecy and everything. And then the people believe that that was from God. And then they worship. Mm. And I was encouraged to remember, the Lord just reminded me, worship me, believe, yes, but worship me, worship me. And I, as we say, worship is a lifestyle. So worship me all the time, all the time. Make it a practice that you believe my words, which we have, right? Um, and and worship me. And mm -hmm. even in the battles, in good times, but even in the battles, right? Acknowledge me as God. Come to me as Lord. Come to me as creator God, almighty one, faithful one, rescue, deliver. And then believe me and worship me. Mm. And at that point, Lord, you got it. You know what I mean? Like, I can't do the most, but you got yeah. it. So that was, man, it was, it was awesome this week. So good. Amen. Amen. Yeah, that's so good. My turn. It's your turn, Abraham. I'll be brief. Just so. <laughs> Miki can never say she's never witnessed it. That's the right. <laughs> that's the running joke right now. Oh, I, know. Okay. I don't care. <laughs> I, know, I know what y'all saying about me in the comments. No, that's funny. <laughs> we got to know people. Y'all talking about them, about me. I don't care nothing about it. <laughs> 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 no, nah, but seriously, um, 2 Timothy um, chapter 1, just the entire epistle, frankly, but verses 6 and 7 is what I'm going to focus on right now. Uh, we know that Paul wrote this letter to Timothy toward the end of his life. He's about to be executed, uh, but he's writing to Timothy. And just to get right to it, um, we often, and I have been exposed to this, Verse seven is often quoted without the context that the Lord revealed it in. And it does have a general application. Sure. Uh, this is scripture that says, for the Lord has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power and love and a sound mind, which mm -hmm. yes, 
It has broad application, but Paul has communicated it to Timothy in a very specific application. You have Paul sending this letter to Timothy from jail. You know, you get you get mail from jail, you know it came from jail. You know, there's this reality of the first century stigma with being an enemy of the Roman state and how that could impact everybody else. And Timothy, who met Paul at a younger stage of his life, he's now an elder in the Lord's church in Ephesus, is standing and confronted with the reality of what Christ following could mean for him. Just as Paul is incarcerated, soon to ultimately be executed, this could be Timothy's lot should he endeavor to remain faithful to God. And it is with that backdrop, Paul says to Timothy in verse 6, for this reason, I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God, which is in you, through the laying on of my hands. Paul uses that expression about laying on of hands as a reference to him being a part of the formal ordination of Timothy into the eldership. He said the same thing in chapter one, don't lay hands on any man suddenly. Don't elevate a Neovite to a position of authority and become a partaker in their sins. So Paul is saying to Timothy, I know that you are tempted to be intimidated by what you're looking at because of where I am. I am saying to you, fan into flame the gift that God has given you hmm. to follow him. And then he says, immediately following in verse seven, for God has not given us a spirit of fear or timidity, but of power and of love and of discipline. Paul specifically says that to Timothy to contrast the, the temptation to be intimidated really to the point of disobedience. Paul is saying to Timothy, man, fan that gift into flame, mm. oxygen to that kindling spark. I know it's there. I was there. I laid hands on you. I was a part of your formal ordination into an eldership in the Lord's church. Don't allow my current posture to be a dissuading phenomenon because the king that we serve is worthy. Mm. He's not only worthy of us serving them in the easy times, even in the face of incarceration and ultimately execution, our God is worth it. Amen. And in the face of this, he's not given a spirit of fear of Delia, but of power and of love and a sound mind, the wherewithal to recalibrate your mind, though your emotions may tempt you to want to escape or to try to abandon the call. The Lord has given us a sound mind so that we can think according to what is true. What is right, as my, as my wife said, is not the God we serve, the creator of heaven and earth? Is he not the one that sustains it? Is mm. he not the one who has invited you into his eternal covenant yeah. that guides your temporal engagement? He's not giving you a spirit of fear, but a power and love. And the capacity to calibrate your mind according to what not only may be factual, but what is true. And so that's been something that's been stirring me that even in the face in our culture where Christianity is growing further and further out of vogue, yeah. the Lord has ordained us and y'all and all y'all on the line for such a time <laughs> Don't allow the difficulty in the context to manipulate you away from the obedience that God has summoned us to. And so that's been ministering to me. Mm, man, it's so good. I love it. Um, who was it? Let me let me make sure. Okay, this is David in the live said, this is Abe without the disrespectful music. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine, man, and which by the way, this is great. <laughs> provides a great opportunity for us to say, listen to our brother, listen to the Hamilton Corner. You can hear him on American Family Radio 5 p.m. Central Time mm -hmm. every weeknight, holding it down, even with the disrespectful music. It would be about a two-hour broadcast if you didn't <laughs> have music bumpers, like the guardrails <laughs> to keep you. I mean, that would just be incredible. Man, we love you guys so much, all right? Yeah. Like, I mean, I you know, we try to, try to, we wanted to conduct a formal live, okay, <laughs> and try to be a little bit dignified because, like, you know, it's like a thing, right? This is kind of like what we do, um, and you do too. But like, I mean, this is, this is like, this is like a day in the week, right? Talking right. about the importance of family and yeah. talking about what the Lord requires of us and what he expects of us and how can we execute that faithfully? Look, we are imperfect people serving the one true and living perfect God, right? Who has laid out for us what he requires of us. And I think so often we don't do it because we don't explore it in his word. Right. Mm -hmm. we, we don't receive the conviction that comes along with that. All right. Well, the great you want to yeah, close out this time in prayer. Definitely. Lord, we thank you. We praise you, God, for, for who you are, God. We thank you for uh, this live tonight. We thank you for the discussion here. And I just pray, God, it would minister to many hearts and many souls out there, Father God. And I pray, Father God, that our families will be encouraged greatly by this discussion. Lord, we thank you, God, for the Hamiltons. God, we thank you for uh, their heart for you. We thank you for their family, Father God. We pray, God, that you would just continue to bless them and keep them, 
and all that they're doing, Lord. We thank you, Father God, for the way that you have set things up, that we dwell in family, Father God. I pray that husbands would love wives and wives uh, would respect husbands, Father God, and that uh, children would be uh, raised up uh, to obey you, Father God, to know you for who you are. Lord, we thank you, God, for all that you're doing, God. We thank you for everyone that was able to make it uh, to, to listen and to watch uh, tonight, God. And I pray, God, that we would all have peaceful homes, Lord. God, have your way in our lives. We thank you. And God, we pray, Father God, for the nation of Israel. Hmm. We pray, Father God, that you will protect uh, your people, God. But I, we pray, Father God, that there will be many souls that will come to know you, God, that uh, by what's going on, God, we pray that uh, hearts will be turned towards you, Father God. And we thank you. We trust you. We trust your plan and the process, Lord. We, we love you. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to Culture Proof Live. Remember, when you resist those cultural trends that rival the truth, you remain culture proof. Until next time, Lord willing. God bless.